I'm Dr. Rachel Griffiths, and I'm with my father and business partner in aquatics, Dr. Tom Griffiths. Welcome to The Drowning Files, where each week we share a lawsuit we've been involved in or news story with suggestions to learn from these tragedies to save lives. What case do you have today? Well, today I thought I would talk about a water park drowning, specifically in a wave pool. And the specifics of this particular case was a large church group went to a water park for a fun day, a field day, if you will, a team building exercise. And going to the water park from the church was a large group of teenagers and with them chaperone parents. And they entered the water park and what made this case so um, so difficult was that it was captured very well on security cameras. And so what we have here is a young boy, young teenage boy, who could swim, but with limited swimming ability. And he was in the wave pool, and he didn't use a front crawl stroke. He kind of used a modified breaststroke or dog paddle. And he wasn't wearing a life jacket, but he would swim in the tube and sit in the tube and paddle around and then hop out of that tube to join friends in another group of tubes and and jump in a tube or hang on their tube and then move to another one. Um, And so for quite a long time, while the waves were churning through this wave pool, uh, this young swimmer would leave one inner tube and go to another and leave that inner tube and go to another. And so he was swimming, not well, but he was swimming between these tubes and trying to get these free floating tubes or hanging onto someone else's tube for quite some time. In the video, you could see him fatigue. Um, and eventually uh, he tired, couldn't hold on to the tube anymore, slip beneath the surface and drown. Now, Um, He was underwater, motionless for more than 10 minutes, and there were many lifeguards on duty um, and positioned uh, fairly well around the wave pool. All were certified and qualified as lifeguards, and they had fairly good training. Uh, But that's the sum and substance of this case, where a church group came, one of the boys who was swimming in the wave pool was a weaker swimmer, wasn't wearing a life jacket, And because of his inability to stay in the tube and to stay afloat, he drowned. Like many cases that we experience, um, other people in the pool, other swimmers and patrons found the boy on the bottom, not the lifeguards on duty. And so, Rachel, that's it. And what suggestions do we have for parents and caregivers based on this scenario? Wave pools, uh, first of all, They're almost like a hybrid pool. Wave pools, yes, are an aquatic facility that's a swimming pool, but if they have big waves and they're on for uh, a sustained period of time, they can really fatigue weaker swimmers. I believe that life jackets should be worn and wave pools flat out, everyone should wear them, simply because with the waves and the water turbulence, and all the people and tubes in the water, 
it's difficult to spot someone, extremely difficult to spot someone um, in a wave pool, uh, more so than in a, than a swimming pool. So number one, um, I think everyone in a wave pool should have a life jacket on, quite frankly. Well, as a, as a parent sending your child uh, with this church group, were families with the kids when they went to the swimming pool? They were a group of chaperones, but of course, they, they weren't given instructions as to how many kids they should watch, which kids. The, these kids were not water tested. So therefore, it was just a free-for-all, not only of the, ch- uh, the church group, uh, and their chaperone, the adult chaperones, but everyone else who was admitted into the park. And, and so there was really no tracking. There were no parents or chaperones who were responsible for four students or, or um, six church members in the water. So th- there was not enough responsibility dispersed or designated by the church group to the accompanying chaperones. So as a parent, um, I would think increasing situational awareness, knowing where your child is going when you hopefully are signing off on it, um, or if they're going on a field trip that day, knowing where they're going, if they're a strong swimmer or not, and really following up on that, making sure that the group knows that they may not be the strongest swimmer, ensuring they have a life jacket. I would prefer even insisting going uh, to the facility if you don't have a strong swimmer, because we know that you can't rely on the group. You can't rely on the lifeguards. Uh, you're, You're perfectly right. And here's the hard part is some parents just can't go with their child because of work and other commitments, but it's a great suggestion whenever a child has a swimming type event uh, with a group, uh, every effort should be made to accompany that child to that swimming event, whether or not there are supervisors, chaperones, or lifeguards, because no one can watch a kid the way a parent will watch their kid. And what, I think you touched on it a little bit already, but what suggestions would you have for aquatic facilities? So life jackets, uh, if it's a wave pool, life jackets for all, all swimmers in a wave pool. Another thing I thought of while you were speaking was all the red flags that we see when we watch these drowning scenarios. So we see a lot of footage of real drownings and we see so many red flags often before the drowning occurs. Sometimes the drowning happens really quickly, but other times a kid is in the pool and you can tell they're not a strong swimmer and they might go out of the pool and in the pool. And there's just a long period of time sometimes where you would be able to identify sooner that the child's um, not able to swim strongly. So looking for those red flags and those signals before spotting a drowning, more on the prevention side, seeing if a child or an adolescent or even an adult is not a weak swimmer having issues and then uh, taking the appropriate steps. You're right. And in this case, there was a major red flag, I believe. Uh, This boy constantly swam, swam with his head out of the water, with his face out of the water. And as you know, if that is a person's mode of transportation in the water with the face up and the head up, 
it typically shows that they're not comfortable in the water. One more thing I might add was these lifeguards, to their credit, they were often monitored, they were often audited um, for the way they scan the water and they were told to keep the head moving, keep the eyes moving and, and to do this on a regular basis. And they were evaluated all the time. That's the good news. The bad news is, and we've seen this happen many times, particularly in water parks and larger facilities with good lifeguards on duty, is many of the lifeguards are more concerned with passing the audit. In other words, moving their head and spinning the head and looking down beneath their feet for the blind spots and pointing mindlessly um, as if they were pointing to swimmers. But what they are doing, Rachel, is, and we've discussed this before, they're choreographing their moves in the lifeguard station in order to pass the audit. And they're not really focusing on the swimmers in the water. And a lot of audits will say, don't focus, don't uh, focus on any one person, don't stop scanning. Um, and, and so this creates an inherent problem. You have to look for those red flags and your eyes have to stop momentarily because you can't see details if, you're, if your eyes and your head are constantly moving. So that's the paradox there. So I would say if there's a group going to a pool, we know that they need a group use policy, the facility. We know they need life jackets. And we know that parents and caregivers should really uh, evaluate the situation if you want your child going or what protections you want in place if they're going to a, an area, any area with water, uh, never assuming that the group that's going will be uh, provide enough protection. Um, and that facility has got to go through a safety orientation with this group before they even get wet. And, and we state that time and time and time again. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Drowning Files. Tune in next week when we will begin a new format where we'll, we'll explain the case as always and suggestions for parents, caregivers, and facilities. But we're also going to start adding a part at the end of that where we detail more information about the lawsuit and the logistics of what each side argued. So if you have interest in hearing more about the actual lawsuit, the actual case, we will be adding more details about that each week as we have the details available. Music